Hello, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, episode 16. We're dropping in hot this week. Uh, the Empire is but a week away, and we're going to have to scramble if we want to find any good loot here in Isalona before the fight. I'm your host, G, uh, currently sporting a backpack and three scopes. And with me, as always, having taken all the guns, the shields, and all the healing, is my uh, purported wingman, Eero. Hi. Yeah, I've got two wingmen, actually. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> It's a very, uh, a very Eero-esque move, but, uh, you know, we're not just here to talk about whatever insipid uh, we were Battle Royale done, games we were, we're playing. we with Battle Royale jokes. We are not. Apologies, folks. We're still playing them. Maybe, uh, maybe once that wears off, we can start doing, like, Sunless Skies bits or something. Uh, what's the next anime game coming out? In the next big anime game? Uh... So the front know. front mission spinoff. Oh man, don't even don't even get me started on Left Alive, dude. That game fucking <laughs> Front Mission Evolved was already maybe one of the most like singularly disappointing reinventions of a franchise I'd ever seen. Somehow Left Alive manages manages, excuse me, to look even worse than that. Like Front Mission Evolved, at its core, was just, like, bad armored core. This looks like bad armored core plus, like, bad Metal Gear Solid Five, which, uh, hmm. I don't know, and yet, I'll probably still consider picking that game up because I'm a fool. What, and about, what about Jump Force? Nah, look, man, like, Yusuke Yurameshi can convince me to do a lot of things in my life, but even that... Even his presence in Jump Force is not enough to... Uh, what if it had Kazuma Kuwabara? That would be pretty good. That would uh, that would push things in the right direction. But, however, my understanding is Jump Force has Japanese voices only. Yeah. So, not only do I have to fucking listen to Grandma Goku, I have on. to listen to a non-dub Kuwabara. No, she's not. Sorry, dude. Like... I don't even think this is that spicy of a take. <laughs> Japanese Goku is not that good. I think. Come on. I think. I think. I think most of the uh, American anime fan base will agree with me on this. That uh, not that great. That voice is like almost acceptable for like Kid Gohan, but like <laughs> rapidly, <laughs> rapidly passes out of favor by the time uh, Goku is supposed to be. You know. Uh, you know, a fucking man. You know, uh, fighting to defend Earth. But uh, I digress. You know, uh, speaking of people who are... Uh, what if Jump Force had Yang Wenli in it? Uh, yes, speaking of people who have committed themselves to defending, um, if not Earth, then, you know, um, all of mankind, uh, we're here to talk about Legend of the Galactic yeah, Heroes. Yeah, not the, Jump uh, Force. Uh, the uh, legendary 1988 science fiction OVA. Uh, yes, uh, today we're covering episode 45, The Cold Wave Arrives, episode 46, Admiral Yang's Ark, and episode 47, Seeking a Free Universe. Yes, yes, these three episodes, uh, you know, the times are changing here in this little corner of the galaxy, you know, in this little page of history. Uh, yeah, and with the new year. Yeah, with the new context. year, big, thing, yeah, big <laughs> things are coming in the new, in the new year, and, uh. You know, uh, it's a one might call it an interesting trio of episodes. <laughs> Indeed, and uh, we should probably just get into it. Yeah, because, so, uh, episode forty-five starts with Reinhard and his like subordinates uh, celebrating the new year, ringing in the new year, and the only like, way the Empire knows how. I guess we've like normalized time across all systems or something. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, I mean, sure. look, it's, it's not that's not that big a deal. It's Galactic New Year's, galactic okay? Time, yeah, yes. You know, happy Galactic New Year's, you know. uh, Everyone's going cheers with their martini glasses of champagne. Yeah, surprisingly, they don't start throwing them on the ground. I thought that was just the the old Empire tradition, you know, just, uh, you know, the old, you know, the decadence of the Empire. When you're going to die or something, right? I don't know. I don't know how it works, dude. I just know they like to fucking throw their glasses on the ground. And, you know, that's probably a real pain in the ass anywhere that's got carpet, so... 
But uh, but yeah, so you know they're all uh you know ringing in the new year, Reinhardt's talking about how uh you're only ever allowed to exist as the subjects of my conquest. You know, <laughs> Reinhardt, please cool it just a little bit. Yeah, you know, and, uh, uh, the young uh, admirals are showing off. They're they've got so much energy with with Operation Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're just so excited. Everybody is fucking chomping at the bit to win some glory in this war. You know, uh, we got, like, this dude Turnizen or something, uh, supposedly a classmate of Reinhard back in the day, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. he's a, what, a vice admiral now, and what was exact toast again? It was like... (laughs) I forget. (laughs) His toast was, like, his toast was a a big power move. To the final year of the Free Planets Alliance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that, which it's pretty good because also, like, the fucking whole room goes quiet and everybody looks at him and he's got, like, kind of embarrassed. He's like, oh, shit, maybe, you know, I shouldn't have uh, gone so hard on that. But, you know, Reinhardt's like, ha Yeah. I mean, yes, yes, it is totally going to be the last year of the FPA's existence, so. <laughs> uh, but Mittermeier uh, uh, and Mueller are more worried because they're going to have to face... Admiral Alexander Bucock. Yeah, who they say is worth, like, fucking three Empire Admirals <laughs> at the very least. In all experience, we'd fall short of that old man. You're right, they said if it was me, Mittermeier, Mueller, and, like, fucking Roenthal combined would come up short against Bucock. And it's like, I kind of like trying to build up the mythos of Bucock, considering how little we've really seen of yeah. him, you know, in battle. We just know he's a cool guy. We just know he's a very cool guy, you know. They call him Bucock, the Living Military Museum. Um, we have a good part here where you know we kind of have a uh, we kind of have big mood uh, Mueller, where uh, they're kind of having this conversation about Turnizen, like oh, all these young guys have so much energy, and Mueller's like, I'm young, but I don't have any energy. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, same I was dude. Like, man, that's yeah, same, same, my dude. But, uh... Uh, but yeah, so uh, we have this bit here where you know. Uh, they're having their party, you know, it's going through the night, and we have a... Uh, Reinhardt comes to, to talk to them about their tactics or whatever. Yes, uh, yes. Reinhardt celebrates the new year the only way he knows how. Drinking. <laughs> drinking and quizzing people on military yeah, tactics. It's funny because, so like, everyone's got their drinks, and then Reinhardt walks up to talk with Mittermeier and Mueller, but we see that Reinhardt's glass is already empty. <laughs> yes, yes. Unlike everyone else in the room. <laughs> kind of these subtle, subtle hints here and there that, uh, you know, Reinhardt keeps hitting the drink. Yeah, it's not as like blatant as Young. Uh, no, no, but, but definitely. But here's the thing, right? Like, like, you could argue that, like, because Young's alcoholism is so fucking blatant that, like, <laughs> like there's like a degree of like management to it. Like he is a, you know, he is a functional alcoholic. Sure. Like my worry with Reinhardt is because it's such like an understated thing. Like we're eventually just gonna like. We're just eventually going to start noticing, like, you know, like, for, like right now, it's just an empty martini glass. Like, what happens if, like, you know, 20 episodes later, it's Reinhardt with, like, you know, a third empty, like, bottle of wine or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, we got, we got, we got a shot of Reinhardt with, like, a bottle of scotch, and then 10 seconds later, you know, the bottle is half empty or something. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yes, yeah, so he, uh, as Ira was saying, uh, he was quizzing uh, Mittermeier. He was basically saying, Mittermeier, what do you think the FPA is going to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of like this conversation because it very much speaks to this idea that like good generals like don't only think about their own tactics. They think about what their enemy is likely to do. Uh, Ira, you want to talk about it? You were about to get into it. Uh, basically, he thinks they think that... Uh... The best way to fight the alliance would just be to like crush them with overwhelming force, but because the alliance doesn't have enough ships, they'll probably try. They'll probably try to lure the empire in and hit the supply lines, much like what happened during uh, the FPA's offensive during Omlitzer. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like it's one of those things of like, even though Mittermeier predicts this tactic, and we eventually find out that this is almost exactly what Bucock tries to do. I'd almost say this isn't necessarily, like, an indictment of their tactics, but more, like, it is a recognition of, like, the well, FPA yeah. is in such a state that this is basically the only strategy they can use, you know, to mm-hmm. even stand a chance against the Empire. Uh, meanwhile, Mueller predicts that, you know, maybe the FPA will just be a bunch of dumbasses and try and get into a stupid battle of attrition, which, you know, will inevitably win. 
And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, geez, I hope Mueller isn't fucking foreshadowing, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the FBA, the FBA's approach to this war here, because, uh, as we find out later in terms of the sheer numbers, uh, FBA, it's like, yeah, it's like very much one. coming up short, but, uh, but yeah, so then we kind of, uh, we kind of, you know, kind of progress through this new year's party. Yeah. Um, On the subject of people drinking, Hilda goes back to the bar and gets some juice instead of filling her alcohol. Yeah. She knows better. Yeah. You know, uh, not like all these other dudes just fucking hitting the drink. But, uh, gotta keep that mind sharp. But, yeah. And we have actually the party kind of uh, starts to, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. We get some, some, well, uh, let's see, Rear Admiral Sombart hanging out with Ternizen. Yes, yes. They're kind of talking about, like, how, uh, Mittermeier and Reunthal are kind of advancing, you know, away, uh, you know, like, far and away ahead of every other general in Reinhardt's army. Yeah, and then talking uh, about how, every, like, uh, Reinhard's subordinates have, you know, quick like, advanced quite quickly in their careers because there have been plenty of opportunities for them to distinguish themselves in battle. But that, uh, uh, but if yeah. the war ends, then there won't be any more opportunities really for yeah. people to uh, rise yeah. in the ranks. And I, I kind of wonder if this is kind of like a a subtle remark on maybe in, in a similar case as Geiersberg. I do wonder if this is maybe a subtle remark on. Not necessarily the thing that will break the Empire or give the FPA a chance, but maybe the thing that could definitely, like, hamper the Empire in the long run in this, like, big war campaign of theirs is that, like Geiersberg, the FPA is fighting for its survival. Like, there is no time for glory to be won here. You know, everybody, it's all hands on deck. Everybody needs to, like, just bring out their best ideas. But for the Empire's side, I do wonder, like, how much of this is going to be power plays to gain Reinhardt's favor before the war ends? Because Operation Ragnarok, for a lot of these guys, is maybe their last chance to really distinguish themselves in Reinhardt's eyes. So, yeah, I wonder if we'll end up getting a little bit of, like, a little bit of, like, you know, glory hound uh, behavior yeah. from some of these Not guys. necessarily, like, any infighting or anything, but just, like... It could be that in the FPA has to not die. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. It could be. It could be the linchpin. But um, we have a uh, you know we have a uh, Reinhardt finally ending this party, kind of talking with Hilda. Um, we get a we get another uh, if only Kirky eyes were here. Yes, um, if only so add that to the tally. But uh, we have finally have Reinhardt acknowledge that uh. He might not know what he can do in a world yeah. where he doesn't what have somebody happens? to fight. What happens after he wins the universe? Yeah, yeah. We have a Reinhardt kind of finally admitting, I, I'm a warmonger. <laughs> That's who I am. Like, I, I dress it up with flowery words, but that is who I am at the core. Like, and it's a, it, we've talked about it a million times. Like, you know, Reinhardt is without a doubt probably a great leader, probably a great administrator, but his personality will it allow him to settle into peace and who can say who can say at this point yeah but uh anyways the party ends um we finally go back to the fpa where uh council is just like uh fuck <laughs> what do we do how, let's figure out how to tell everyone that we're screwed and so you know in a very fpa move you know the fpa the place that was founded as the bastion of liberty and democracy is doing what bastions of democracy and liberty do which is censor the news and Yay! try to decide uh, how can we how can we package this to the civilians um but everybody knows already because yes, everyone yes. from Fazan already was like hey my planet's been taken over. Right. And then, you know, once again, we have Job Trunit in a stunning display of his leadership in times of uh, conflict. Uh, fucking bails on the government again. Yeah. <laughs> he goes into hiding again. Uh, Which, I, like, what's a fucking official statement from the government? It's just like, we recognize that we have some responsibility for the situation. Yes, that's base. It's it's the most fucking like <laughs> it's like it's like the most fucking Japanese PR ass fucking statement in the world. Yeah. And here's I'm glad to see some shots of the media people being yes, like, being wow, like oh, what bullshit." Right, yes, I am so glad we are getting like the thing that always kind of bothered me with the F the FPA sometimes was just like how fucking easily 
FPA civilians seem to eat the bullshit that their politicians were feeding them. And it always felt like maybe only certain members of the military could recognize just how fucked up it was. But I'm glad there are people in the media who are like, dude, this is so bullshit. (laughs) And it kind of makes it does stretch the imagination or stretch the, you know, my believability. And I don't know, maybe this is something that they talk about in the books, but like. How the fuck can Job Trunick maintain his reputation when he has not fled once but twice in the face of, like, government upheaval? Uh, Like, how can anybody be like, yeah, Job Trunick, he's the guy who should lead the FPA. Like, the guy who fucking, fucking literally, like, (laughs) goes out for a pack of cigarettes the second things start to look bad. I mean, yeah, you say that, but... (laughs) Consider the, how many people are totally okay with the current administration of the United States. Sure, but like it, even then, like if our current fucking president, like if we were all of a sudden in a war, like let's just say fucking Red Dawn fucking happens, the Russians and the Chinese are landing on our shores, and like our president literally ghosted, like I I would like to believe people would be like, actually, that's kind of fucked up. Oh no, but, be, they, they would absolutely be saying, no, it's just part of a secret plan. Of course, of course, the master of, you know, yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, fucking uh, Miracle Trump. This is all part of his plan. Going <laughs> uh, <laughs> in hiding and abandoning, abandoning the populace was uh, all part of his master plan. But uh, anyways, Dog we finally have the fucking hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, it truly is. Um, but anyways, we... Uh, we uh we 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 get we we uh, return to the council who kind of basically have a very <laughs> kind of very frank talk yeah, about uh right. okay, like, what do we do? So are we gonna fight to death or are we gonna fight uh until we can negotiate a peace treaty? Oh, and not even that, they also do mention or do we just straight up surrender? Right. Like they do at least they do fucking put that on the table, which I think is kind of a uh pretty fucking uh frank realization on their part of the dire straits they are actually in but uh anyways you know eventually they decide look our best bet is to fight this war and try to like fight for like somewhat favorable terms you know kind of a kind of pull a american revolution or you know uh civil war you know confederate aims here of if we bleed them out bad enough maybe we can uh negotiate and so, you know, we uh, we return to our good friend Bucock. Yep, who's been tasked with uh, doing the thing. Yes, yes, with leading the efforts. And uh, we get some great, as always, as always, motherfucking Bucock, always with the just grade A lines, you know? Like, <laughs> like if Yang is S-tier in terms of his one-liners, like, fucking Bucock is at least A-tier. A-plus tier. A-plus tier, yeah. You know, like we have this great line here where like, you know, Bucock's adjutant is like, you know, maybe we should have let the National Military Salvation Council like kill all the politicians. And, you know, Bucock, you know, fucking true, you know, true, uh, true patriot to the end is like, nah, man, like an alliance. Right. What's the point of the autocratic dictatorship of the the empire battling our military dictatorship? Right, right. Like the alliance cannot become a dictator just to compete with the empire's dictatorship. At its core, no matter what happens, the alliance should die as a democracy. And it's like, god damn, fucking it says if a nation can't protect its founding policy and its citizens, there's no reason for it to exist. Right, just damn Bucock. Just fucking you want a true you want a true patriot. You want the you want the face of patriotism. It's my man Bucock here. I'm not, fucking, not, not like bullshit ultranationalism, but like right, that's a thing. Like I'm trying to make that distinction. Like Bucock's a patriot. Yeah. Like he truly stands for what the FPA was founded for. He, yeah. This is a man who truly like it's not it's not just like my country, right or wrong. No, he's like represents the ideals of And and not only that, I think it's like it's like as you said, right? Like it's not just the like my country right or wrong. Bucock believes if my country is wrong, then, then we should wrong. then we should die. Like then we deserve to die if we were wrong, yeah. right? Like it's 
it's it's it's a healthy amount of self awareness that you can really you really wish more uh, more people in his uh, position of leadership had. Yeah. But anyways, Bucock is tasked with uh, getting the FPA fleet ready for the fight. Uh, yeah. And by fleet, I say fleet singular, not fleets, because the only fleet left that's in kind of even like remotely right, like fleet. fighting condition is the first fleet. Because they did not get to go help Yang back during the coup d'etat or whatever. Right? Yes, like, yes. So uh, a weird... Uh, t- a weird change of, uh, of of fortune, I guess. But uh, unfortunately, they're putting Commander Paeta in yeah, charge of the first fleet. Which, as we all remember, Paeta was a dude who basically nearly got uh, their entire fleet killed back when uh, Reinhardt was a Von Musel. But, uh, but yeah, so you know, it's 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 not looking good. Uh, we kind of have a a brief. Um, a brief scene with the uh, the quote unquote uh, new empire government, right, the government in exile. Yes, uh, we have we are introduced to a fantastic member of their new nobility, uh, Hosinger, <laughs> Hosinger, who is just, just fucking like, just drinking it up in the yes. meeting and fucking like telling you all, <laughs> telling them all I mean, off. I mean, he's basically just saying what everybody fucking knows already, and yeah. that's that their new empire has no legitimacy. Like, how is a government considered legitimate? A, 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 gov- a government needs, like, a government can claim legitimacy through, like, I'm not going to go to full tangent here, but, right. like, for a government to have legitimacy, they need, like, one of, like, multiple things. They need either power, like, hard power, you know, in the whether that's a form of armies or mm-hmm. soft power in terms of, like, economic power. Right. They need um, a legitimate... The, cl- if, like, if the citizenry of the empire still give a shit about the Kaiser, then they might have power. <laughs> But yes, they yes. So it's a thing, right? So that's kind of where I was getting to: is they have no claim. Like their claim is the boy Kaiser, but again, a claim is only as worth as much as the people who actually believe in it. And nobody fucking believes in that claim, so that has no sway. And they have no influence. Like they have no influence on the FPA. They have no influence on the rest of the empire. Like they have literally nothing. You know, they don't even have an army. Like they have um, shit. Mercats. What's his name? Yeah, they got mercats, but a general alone, an army does not make. Right. So they have nothing. And Hosinger basically just lays this all out there. And, you know, you can kind of see, like, there's like there's like one dude there that's like, how dare you say that? How dare you besmirch the name of the Kaiser? Isn't he? <laughs> like, like, come I'm on, guys. I'm disgrace so I can just say whatever the fuck I want. And everybody else is just kind of like pulling on their collars and be like, huh, I mean, <laughs> Hosinger's got a point. Like, <sighs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, so, uh, got a brief, finally, brief appearance of the bungling poet. Yes, yes, the bungling poet. We have Schneider and Schumacher uh, meeting for the first time. Yeah, those super surreal damage that teamed up, I feel like. Oh my god, I feel like, yes, like, the most, like, maybe the second or third most able adjutant in this show, plus, uh, plus, uh, Schneider could make for a pretty, uh, pretty beastly combo. And you know what? They can even bring, um, the bungling poet along as comic relief, yeah, exactly. you exactly. Know? <laughs> power trio. But, uh, the power trio, yes. The, 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 the Empire in Exile power trio. <laughs> but, um... More importantly than that, we are introduced to a new character here when uh, Bukok assembles put his staff together, but like everyone's <laughs> everyone's dropping from disease. <laughs> so uh, he keeps getting reports of like, oh, this guy in this position's sick or something, so we need someone else. Yes, he's like, all right, bring in. I I I heard there was this guy called <laughs> called Trung Yu Chan. Yes, but it's not just him. There, it, it, there has been kind of this like, I mean, he is the most important replacement. But this entire episode has had this like pervasive theme of like FPA leadership, like being like hospitalized by the sheer stress of this upcoming battle that they are getting constantly replaced by like their adjutants and second commands, which is very funny. But uh, anyways, yes, we are introduced to um, Yukok's new staff officer, Chung Yu Chan. Um, yeah. We are introduced to him by uh, he. Uh, they he call shows him up the second generation bakery, apparent whatever that and means. He shows up in this meeting with a brown paper bag, and um, <laughs> he just starts sandwiches. eating a sandwich in the middle of this meeting. 
Um, what does he say, Eero? He says, uh, if, even if, he's like, oh, don't worry about this. If, even if you, if you steam it a little, even stale bread tastes okay. Yes, yes, it's, it's very good. This it's dude. It's just, just like a weird guy who shows up at his meeting with a paper bag full of, like, stale convenience store sandwiches. Yes, yeah. and like, because here's, right, right, it's like, you start to think, oh man, are we going to get our next, like, fucking, like, crazy-ass, like, Yang Wen Lee character? And no, instead we get this, like, very unassuming, like, middle manager-looking type, and... Well, he lays it out. Yeah, but this thing is, what he does here is he lays out maybe... And here's the thing that, like, now that we've watched all three episodes, right. I think I'm feeling a lot better about Chung Yu Chan, but at the same time, I really do like how he is used in this episode, because... He is the guy in Bukok's, uh, you know, cabinet. This his war cabinet that basically says the thing that like nobody, nobody wants, wants to, to admit. Yeah. Not even we, the audience, wants to hear. Yeah, but we have to consider. It's funny. And, it was great seeing both our reaction to this guy being like, yeah. oh, "I like this guy." No, I don't like this guy anymore. Okay, right. But, mm, uh, right. So to kind of get to give, to give it context, they're talking about okay, how are we going to win this war? And Chung Yu Chen's like. <sighs> You know, oh, we gotta pull we Yang need, out of Iserloon. We need Yang Wenli, and we need to pull him from Iserloon. And everybody, us included, were like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> like, what was the whole point of, like, fighting to win Iserloon if, like, at the end of the day, we just abandoned it? But Chung Yu Chan basically says, like, look at it this way. Let's say Yang stays at Iserloon. We all get fucking killed, and they, inv- and they invade and occupy Heinesen then what's the point of holding Iserloon? Because now he's just, you know, isolated. Yeah. Say say he leaves it, and they take back Iserloon, and we, you know, we lose the war. We all die. Let's say we win the war, and he loses Iserloon. Like, either way, like, even in if all we, likelihood... Even if we get, like, a favorable peace treaty, they'll ask for Iserloon back. Right. Like, no matter how this goes... It's a ninety percent chance we are losing Iserloan either through military conquest or political treaty. Like, at some point, we have to just take the L and bring back what is our like, yeah, s- strongest slash only asset in this war. And there's kind of like this. It's it's really fantastic because like, us as the viewers from a meta standpoint are like recoiling from this suggestion. It's so. <laughs> As are, like, Bukok's men, they're like, what? Like, abandon Iserloon? But, like, it's great because, yeah, Chang Yu-chan basically says a thing that nobody wants to hear. Like, nobody even wants to consider. But, like, this is what good, this is what good generals do. This is what good leaders do. Is, you know, it's kind of like what Mirai said all those episodes back to, to, uh, to Julia. Like, somebody needs to be the devil's advocate. And somebody needs to say the things that everybody else has considered unthinkable. Because sometimes, sometimes the situation has gotten so desperate that the unthinkable must now be considered. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you know yeah. they basically okay. Like we need to uh, we'll uh, we will send a letter to uh, <laughs> we'll send a letter to Yang Wenli. <laughs> and um, and there's kind of a great bit, a little bit of politicking here, where you know Bukok and he's like, well. I don't want to be the, you know, like, we, do we want to be the ones that take the blame for, or uh, we don't want Yang Wenli to, like, get the, you know, get blamed for abandoning Iserloan or something, right? It's like... Like, you want to order him to abandon Iserloan? And it's like, you know, like, like, just, like, just tell him to do what he thinks he should do. Like, just tell him to do what he thinks he should do. Yes, yes, it's like a very that. good little bit, little good bit of politicking. But, uh, yeah, anyways, so... uh so yes, Yang receives a letter, and the letter from Bukok basically just says, Yang Wenli, I, Admiral Bukok, order you to do what you believe is best. And Yang <laughs> Wenli like, is like... responsibility. Right. Yang was like, well, Yang Wenli, we had this great moment where he's like, motherfucker, he's asking me to work for more than my, my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But yeah, and then we get a fantastic little bit here in this montage of the FPA getting ready for war, where uh, we get Sidilet out here just beekeeping. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Like, we all, he, he had that throwaway line all those episodes back, and hey, here yeah. he is doing exactly what he's doing with his Earth cult folks yeah, watching TV. Yeah, that too. I try not to think about Job Trun, but yes, he is there as well. And another adjutant dies a heart attack or whatever and is immediately replaced by Pukok. Or no, no, he's, Pukok replaces that dude with a dude named, uh, 
I wrote that here. What what was your name? You have an unusual name. Stone Souls Curator or something. Yeah. And uh, we have this great life from Bucoclo. I order you, uh, Officer Guy, whose name I can't pronounce. Souls, whatever. Right. You are the new. Yes, you are the new adjutant. Uh, but finally, the episode ends with Mittermeier fucking getting ready to invade the FPA from Fazan. Oh, Mittermeier. The like dumbest one-liners that are, have maybe ever been considered. But you can also get this feeling that maybe Mittermeier feels really proud of this. It's, yeah, it's like, ah, well, we're, we're invading, but we're uninvited guests. It's a question of whether we can get into the dining hall. But even if I doors sit down at the table, <laughs> but even if I sit down at the table, the food might be poisoned. Right. It's just like, oh, you can just you just know Mittermeier was probably practicing the, practicing this in the mirror in his like captain's quarters. Uh huh. Like, oh, the front door may be open, but can we make it to the dining room? <laughs> and it's like you can just tell that Mittermeier is like saying under his breath, like, oh man, yeah. Ranthel would love this. Got it. <laughs> uh, of course, sir. Dining room. Yes, sure. That's that metaphor makes sense. But uh but yeah, uh so that is that yeah. episode. Um and uh Meanwhile uh User Loan is episode forty six. Roenthal is uh considering his back traumatic backstory. <laughs> yes, yes. We go back to re- fucking Roenthal's overwrought backstory. And it's very important to him or something. Yes, yes. But uh, that doesn't really matter. Uh, we just get, you know, basically Roythel was napping. Uh, we, we cut back to Yang where he basically reveals his decision to the rest of his cabinet that, look, we're going to abandon Izerlone. We're going to take everybody with us. We're taking the civilians. We're taking the military personnel. We are doing a full and complete uh, abandoning of Izerlone. Yep. Yeah, uh, because uh, as long as our fleet stays here, we can't really help win the war. Like, mm-hmm. Roythel is here on purpose to tie up our fleet. Like, we cannot allow him to do that. We need to join up with the rest of the FBA. Um, and Shen, but Shenkop says, you should wait until they start begging you to help before you go help. Yeah, you know, Shenkop's not wrong. But, uh, <laughs> alas, Yang knows that, look, we need to be there as soon as possible. Like, time time is rapidly running out for us. And yeah. uh, we finally have this uh, really kind of good little line here that we, we finally – everybody kind of finally acknowledges another uh, quiet truth in the room where Yang says that uh, perhaps the only way to win this war is that uh, Reinhard is not married. Yep. He has no heirs. He has no heirs. And that perhaps yeah. – No one else can take his position. Right. And that perhaps in a way is like not that – you know. Let's let you know. Basically, Yang just exposes. Well, what is in fact the biggest weakness of a dictatorship is that it all leads to one man, and if there is some way, some possible way to take out that one man, that uh, you could inter- entirely turn you know the uh, the tide of the war. Yeah. But uh, and we see that the Empire also knows that this is probably what Yang Wenli is planning. Yes, yes. Reinhardt himself admits, yeah, if Yang is smart, he's probably going to try and kill me. So, <laughs> Like I said, there's like, yeah. it's like you bring up, there's a back and forth that everyone, it's the, everyone is broadly aware of what the other side is roughly going trying to do. To do. Yeah. Yes, yes. If you'll allow me to maybe go into a brief tangent here about military tactics. Go for it. I will Yay, say that I really, <laughs> I really like this converse, these conversations in these episodes because it is a much more nuanced approach to military strategy and tactics than you often find in most anime. I think if anybody's watched an anime about like mind games and strategy, you know, you've watched your Death Notes, you've watched your Code Geass, yeah, you've watched your The Price of Smiles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You 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 get this feeling that like often the way strategy works in fiction is that. Like the hero, like the hero general, thing that nobody could have foreseen. Right, they pull off a strategy that is completely unforeseen, that completely catches the enemy off guard. They had no way of predicting, and like those are very exciting to watch because it can be cool to be like, oh man, what kind of crazy plan did they pull off? I mean, that's half the appeal of Yang Wen Li, right? You know, pulling off his like donut formations and like you know pounding um, Kemp in the butt. 
you know like th- these are like fun strategies because they are like you know surprising and spontaneous you know but yeah at its core what usually actually happens in a war between two sides is that both sides are actually very keenly aware of what they're trying to do what the other uh their enemy might try to do you know uh for a, a famous example for it would be like uh right. you know uh, another famous example would be the d-day landings you know, D-Day was not a surprise. Uh, Nazi Germany was very well aware the Allies were going to land in France. They had to. They were going to make, they were going to start their beachhead. They were going to begin their invasion and push into Nazi-occupied uh, territory through France. And they knew that they were going to land at one of like four or five beaches. They knew without a doubt this was going to happen. So uh, the success of tactics and strategies is less, can we surprise them by doing something they've never seen coming? And more... Can we hit them in the area they're right. least prepared for? Yeah. And we kind of see that here in this back and forth between the FPA and the Empire. The Empire knows that the FPA's only option is to basically let the Empire extend themselves into FPA territory and then hopefully bleed them out, you know, through, uh, you know, uh, through defensive battles. Bukok knows this. Mittermeier knows this. So then the surprises are less... What can we do to uh, catch them off guard? And more, where are they weakest? And how do we hit that with maximum efficiency? Yeah. And I think that it's just always going to be a more nuanced and far more interesting take on military tactics than just the old, like, you know, you fell for my keikaku, you mm-hmm. know, like, my impossible water explosion or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Don't anyways, to... You know, yes, but to get back to it, um, Shenkov's still so, advocating for Yang to just uh, charge in and take power of everything. Yeah. Still saying it, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, look, I think somebody has to advocate for it. Yeah, and the more and more we, as we watch this show develop, the more and more I wonder if maybe Shenkov was right. <laughs> you know, all the way back during the days of the yeah, NSMC coup, but uh. Yeah, Yang Wenli says political power is like sewage. You can't do without it, but it's not something you want, really want to deal with. Yes, yes. And, you know, Yang has never wanted anything to do with politics. So, you know, that tracks his character. But then, you know, at the same time, they also have this line of, uh, but if the majority wish for a dictatorship as a democracy, how do you solve that paradox? You know, like. I don't know. <laughs> I like, don't know. If the majority vote for a dictatorship, you know, uh, how do you maintain democracy in such a situation? But uh, that's not a question for uh, Yang the Swindler to consider. Uh, and we get another Nick, we get another AKA for Yang Wenli from the Empire side here. <laughs> um, about how how is Yang the Swindler going to pull off this uh, this retreat from Iserlone? Yeah, he's uh, you know defended it for so long already. Yeah, you know, uh, Yang and his great powers that everybody can believe in. <laughs> this, yeah, his amazingly powerful reputation that's just... Yes, that continues to strike fear in the heart of every uh, Empire commander. But yeah, while Yang <clears throat> is busy playing with a cat, uh, Dusty says that, uh, hey, actually, I got a plan, and let me try it out. And uh, we kind of get a little good, funny, a fun bit here where uh, um, Frederica kind of uh, knowingly nods at Dusty to be like, think about how you deliver this to Yang Wenli. Like, I think about how you can convince Yang Wenli to accept this plan. Right. And, uh, and Dusty says, oh, <clears throat> right. Uh, I'll uh, take full responsibility for it. So uh, leave it to me. I'll win. I came up with an easy way to win. Uh, yes, yes. Rather than like, I have a good plan, sir. Right, and, and if there's <laughs> if there's anything Yang Wenli likes, it's easy plans that win. Yeah. So, so we get this great part here where we have uh, Helmut Lenincompt, the uh Is he the one with the Stalin mustache? I think so. So he is tasked with going after the uh, we, we see there there the Empire see that some uh, civilian transports are uh, escaping uh, from uh, from Iserlone, and Lenincompt mm. is tasked with uh, going after them. But they're he gets a little explosives. Right. He, go, he gets a little too aggressive with the transports and uh, gets caught with his ass out, basically. 
which allows uh, Dusty to basically pull like a weird, like perpendicular, like uh, formation that just fucking rips his shit up. Yeah. Uh, alas, Dusty doesn't, you know, doesn't get the kill. Reinthal, uh swoops in and just in time to save Lennon Comp's ass. But uh, there's also a fun moment of because this is all basically the Isolone crew, Delane, Reinthal to buy time to like evacuate everyone. Uh, so there's a bunch. There's a bit where Kazlanu is tired of dealing with irate civilians. Uh, he said, oh just, yeah, just send yes. Young Wenli to talk to them. Whatever. Uh, so they're all mad in the hallway, and then Yang Winley just strolls on down the hallway and says, "Yeah, hey, I've I've got a plan, guys. We're working on it. We'll figure it out." And everybody, everybody's like, "Well, if Miracle Yang says so, then yeah, I'm sure oh, we'll be fine." Just like Alpha Seal, yay! Yes, we start clapping. <laughs> we'll be fine. Uh, I like that for once in his life, Yang Winley's reputation also works uh, positively for yeah. him as well. But, uh. uh... <laughs> but yes, um, after the damage, you know, so yes, uh, Lennon Comp get, gets caught with his whole ass out. Royanthal saves him. Uh, Dusty sacrifices a few hundred transports, but manages to bloody the uh, the Empire fleet pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, to the point where uh, we we get another AKA for Yang Wen Li. Uh, Yang Wen Li, a source of disease. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, once again, we just fucking... Yang Wen Lee, king of the rap game, got fucking like 15 oh, AKA. Oh, oh. Yang Wen Lee, AKA the magician, AKA Miracle Yang, AKA the swindler, AKA. AKA the hero. AKA the hero of Alpha Seal. Uh, <laughs> uh, so good. But, uh, but yeah. So uh, we get this great bit here I just want to talk about where they're talking about the operation and Kazano's like, who approved that operation? Like, sure, we we hurt the Empire, but we lost 600 transport ships in that battle. Why did you do such a dumb thing, y'all? Like, sure, they were empty transports meant to be used as decoys, but how are we going to get the civilians off? We're going to have to put them in military ships now, and that is a huge liability. And we get this great scene where he's ranting about this. Fucking Dusty's walking up. And here's Kazunu ranting, and he just fucking turns around and slinks away. I'm out of <laughs> here. And y'all is just, just like, oh, come on. Right, we get like, y'all only extending his hands like, wait, Dusty. <laughs> ah. Just uh, uh, so Yeah, but I guess, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I guess don't worry. Put all these uh, women uh, and children on the Ulysses because it's a lucky ship. Yes, we get this great shot of once again the crew of the Ulysses complaining about the fact that they're going to have to transport, uh, you know, include uh, like five hundred like five hundred pregnant women and babies like on their ship or something. Yeah, and uh, we get this great bit here where one of the dudes tries to like try to make the best of it. Hey, hey, I heard. That uh, women are at their most beautiful after giving birth. Another one's like, yeah, but like five hundred babies. <laughs> it's gonna be loud. But uh, uh, yeah, so the crew of Ulysses continues to be the best. I want like they're setting these guys up to be important somehow here down the line. I hope so. I hope so. But uh, finally, the last part of this plan is uh, Yang Wenli's like, we got gotta leave them a little present, a little gift. We gotta leave something here for them and. At first, you think, oh, they're going to booby trap Uzerlone. They're going to, like, set it to blow up or something. But... It's a double-layer booby trap. It's a double-layer booby trap. Yang Wenli says, um, we need to set uh, set up some bombs in Uzerlone. Hide them just well enough that they find them, but they find them at the last minute. Right. And, uh... To throw them off the trail of the real trick. Right, right. So there is a real trick somewhere unknown. at Uzerlone. But uh, we don't know what it is yet. Royenthal uh, successfully finds the bombs in time. And Royenthal even suspects for a little bit. He's like, hmm, that almost went a little too well. I yeah. wonder if there's something else here at alone. And uh, we don't know what it is by the end of this episode. We, uh, Shrewd man. Surely he has yeah. something planned. And I think it's, I, you know, we, we should move on to episode 47 soon. But I just want to say I'm, I'm very curious what this plan is because, yeah. like, Whatever it is, he's alone. Should they ever need to do so? Right, Yang Wen least The only thing we know about the true hidden, like gift, quote unquote, hidden on Iserlone, is that it is something that might allow Yang to easily take back Iserlone. But it is something that cannot destroy Iserlone because if all he needed to do was destroy Iserlone, 
he would just throw he would just hidden bombs, you know. But yeah. it is something that will a allow him to take back user alone, but b not harm it. And that I think is the interesting part. I'm very curious what that might be. You know, like I wonder if we're gonna find out. It's like it's like some truly like hiding in plain sight sort of thing. You know, like it is just like they're right in front of their eyes, but like they will just never see it because you know, I don't know. Like I don't know what it is. Like yeah. my like my like off the cuff guess was like this was written in 1988. Like I think technically computer viruses existed by this time. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. What if there's like a hidden USB plugged into like some <laughs> random terminal? Right. on either load and like you know it's got like a fucking computer virus on it that disables its defenses or something around backdoor yeah or uh, maybe it goes the other way around they pull it all like you know social engineering thing where either where yang specifically left a single uh unmarked usb just sitting on the floor <laughs> of like the terminal and like Roenthal unable to contain his curiosity huh i wonder what this is i hope i bet it's got fba plans in it you know, and plugs it in, and turns out that's the back door that weakens user loan. Who can say? Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, Renthal retakes uh, user loan for the Empire two years yeah, later. And uh, you know, also, I'd say Young had a good. I say Young yeah. had a good run on user loan. All said and done, you know, True. you know, there also, was uh, one of his troops uh, was uh, embezzling resources from the Alliance or something during the occupation of user loan. And uh, so Reinthal shoots him himself. Yes, I, I would. Yes, <clears throat> definitely an interesting contrast to Mittermeier's execution. Whereas Mittermeier was like, "I wish I could kill them myself," but you know, it wouldn't be proper gonna, or something. Yeah, we're gonna do a proper execution. Whereas, well, m- meanwhile, fucking Reinthal don't give a shit. He's just <laughs> like, I'm just pull the trigger himself. <laughs> like, I'll pull the goddamn trigger. But now here's the interesting thing, right? Yeah. In his execution, the one who's being executed says, like, it's not fair that you guys can take a whole nation, a whole, like, planet, but I just take, like, some resources, and you're calling me a thief and a devil. Right, and, like, you know, and not only that, but he's calling out Reinhardt. He's, like, thinking about Reinhardt taking all this shit for himself, you know? What about the rest of you guys? And I think, I'm not saying this guy single-handedly convinced Roenthal, but it's part of a running theme, I think. It so. is it is the catalyst of a running theme of Reinthal's resentment of Reinhardt. And we kind of have Reinthal kind of thinking to himself, hmm, you know, like I'm on I'm the one who I'm the one who controls Iserlone. Like Right. I wonder. And mm-hmm. I actually do truly wonder. Like, I don't yeah. think I don't think Reinthal's gonna suddenly declare, you know, the fucking the kingdom of Ezerlone ruled by, you know, Lord, you know, Royenthal all of a sudden. But I do wonder uh, when Royenthal's resentment is going to come into play. Like, yeah. it's just been kind of slowly bubbling under the surface. And I almost wonder if... I almost wonder if Royenthal could be the wrench in Reinhardt's plans that allows the FPA to push them back. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying Royenthal would, would like intentionally sabotage the Empire. I think I think Reuthal wants to destroy the FPA bad enough that he wouldn't just try to betray Reinhardt. But I do wonder if Reuthal's behavior might serve as a linchpin that allows the FPA like some breathing room. Yeah. It's, it's definitely that that seed has been planted and it's you know shown up here and there. Uh, totally, totally. But uh but anyways, yes, let's move on to episode 47, you know, because yeah. uh, as much as I'd love to speculate about that, you know, I think we're just going to have to see when that comes into play. Yep. Uh, Reinhardt has gotten the report. Everyone thought signal reason alone. It takes it as it, as the signal for him to go out on the offensive. And meanwhile, Yulian and Mashengo are still prepping to leave Fazan. Yes, they, we return to our friends, Julian and Mashengo, back at Fazan. Uh, yeah, and Julian uh, out with his stock of groceries, yes. a baguette in a bag. Sees uh, Reinhardt's like motorcade yeah. going down the street. Ah, but he left his gun back with Shengo. And you could almost say that this episode is just the adventures of Julian being reminded <laughs> by random young anecdotes <laughs> about basic <laughs> about basic morality and strategics, like uh, strategy. Right, he uh, pull, he like goes to pull his gun and just shoot Reinhardt right then, right there. Which he, let's be honest, what if he did? 
What if he fucking did it? We would lose Julian, of course, but fucking, what if Julian in a glorious suicide attack just took out Reinhardt right here? Ah, but, but, but uh, he flashes back to Young Lee, who tells him that uh, neither terrorism nor occultism have changed history in a, in a constructive way. Which is a very funny, just like, oh, I'm so glad Young Lee just conveniently brought that up in a conversation sometime. You know, just, also, you know, Julian... Conflating terrorism with occultism is very good. It's very good. <laughs> but uh, then we have Ju- uh, Marinesque, uh, the guy, right. the captain who is arranging their smuggling, kind of approaches Julian on the street and he's like, "Hey." They kind of have a conversation about how Julian's like, "Man, the great Reinhard von Lohengram in the flesh." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "Oh, Reinhard's so great. Young's so great. How could I ever compare to these guys?" And Marinesque really drops like fucking whole prepared speech of like, yeah. Ah, uh, they're kind of just regular guys, right? Yeah, like, or not even that, but it's like, hey, like, don't compare yourself to other others. Like, they came from completely different circumstances. Like, you know, Reinhardt came from a completely different culture, a completely different government, a completely different fam- familial structure and government. Like, of course things were going to go different. Like, you can't go comparing yourselves to guys like that because... And in fact, at your age, you're compared to them at your age, you're doing quite well for yourself. Yeah, I mean, hell, let's be honest, compare Yang Wenli to Julian already, like, fucking... Well, what the fuck was Yang doing at Julian's age? Probably, just like... In, just just studying military history or something. Yeah, yeah, and, like, dancing badly. <laughs> uh, getting... Uh, losing... The but, yeah, so we, then we, but then, more importantly to this whole conversation, Marines informs uh, Julian that we have another pay, we have uh, another uh, client uh, in their smuggling that we're going to smuggle with us. He's right. a priest from Earth. Yeah, this uh, Bishop Begsby guy. Yeah, who uh, likes to get high on his own <laughs> supply. But uh, uh, yep. Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, we cut to Reinhardt kind of talking with his generals or his admirals about their new plan. Uh, you know, Reinhardt just can't resist the urge to take the fight to Yang. Yeah. Uh, we find out that Bittenfield and Faranite have, have arrived in Fazan. I mean, Hilda tries to tell him to just hang back at the Empire and, uh, you know, direct stuff from there. Because yeah, yeah. because Mittermeier and Reinfeld, the twin stars of the Empire, could totally just win yeah, you know, but you know, this is just a, this is just a part of Reinhardt who just he cannot resist a good fight. He's like, yeah. ah, but if Yang Wenli's out there, I, I need to fight him. Uh, the way he puts it, he'd rather grasp the universe with his bare hands rather than through gloves. Yes, which I think is once again just Reinhardt making excuses for his warmongering. Yeah, oh yes. But, uh, but yeah, then we finally get a you know, speaking of people who are in hiding, we get a little bit here with Rubinsky just chilling with uh, Dominic uh, Saint Pierre, right. uh, and. We kind of have an interesting conversation between them. You she know, didn't we're like seem to have be enjoying her role as she was basically a honey trap for Rupert. Yeah, and we kind of find out that she didn't really like doing that to an extent. Like, yeah. and not only that, but she doesn't really approve of Rubinsky that much either. You know, in fact, yeah. she specifically says, "Like, actually, you and Rupert are a lot more similar than you'd like to admit." And, you know, Rubinsky tries to play this off as, ah, yes, you know, Rubin, poor Rupert, too bad he inherited all my bad traits. <laughs> and, like, you know, Dominic's kind of like, yeah, well, you still have those bad traits, so, you know, don't ever forget that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, it yeah. is kind of a neat, you know, you know, it is kind of a neat, uh, conversation. I think maybe he might hint to, like, Rubinsky kind of feels like a man who is always in control, but he might not be in as much control as he believes. And I wonder if that will come into play later. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And so picking up, uh, Bishop Degsby is also a convenient excuse to, uh, disguise every, all the refugees that Marinesque has taken out of Fazan as just earth gold pilgrims, but just give you all these big ribbons that say Tara is my mother. And, uh, we'll tell everyone that we're going to some Imperial system but we'll take y'all to your destinations. Yes. Uh, we are introduced to uh, one Carrie Willock. Yeah, who is Space our Adventure Cobra. <laughs> yes, Space Adventure Cobra, now here with our, you know, fucking teaming up with Julian and Mashengo. 
we get our, we got ourselves another we got ourselves another new power trio <laughs> in uh, this uh, this set of episodes. Yeah, uh, uh, and they uh, yeah, head out of Fazan, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yes. Uh. Then we find out that from the Empire side that you know they are they're uh, uh they have a new uh, strategy for their uh, invasion of the fpa known as the two-headed snake um formation right. i guess the idea is they'll make it look like they're overextending in much the same way as omelitzer uh so that the so that the fpa will try to attack the middle and go for the supply lines but oh no we also had a powerful fleet near the middle Right, so essentially, head of the snake, and they will encircle the FPA fleet yeah. and destroy them. Yeah. So to better explain it, essentially, Reinhardt is doing a fun bit of weird perspective, like wrangling here, where he is sp- purposely creating a very long, narrow formation with Reinhardt at the front, Minermeyer in the middle, and then Wallen in the rear. And at first, this makes it look like oh, a long, narrow formation is usually like. Is usually used for advances, but the weakness of it is that it is very weak to attacks in the to its flanks. However, what Reinhardt is doing here is very interesting. Is that, is that he is specifically um, he is specifically anticipating that the FPA will go for that, and he is and so by putting Mittermeier in the middle, he is actually making the center of his formation the strongest part of it, yeah. with uh, Wallen and Reinhardt. Uh, essentially acting as the flanking uh the flanking wings of it and um i gotta be honest unless we find out that bucock is fucking you know like you know yeah like you know second to yang wen lee in tactics i'm worried about how this is gonna go because they also mentioned that uh the empire has over 100,000 ships in their fleet against the fpa's 30,000 three to one outnumbered and not only that but this is like Reinhardt's strongest 100,000 versus the FPA's 30,000 that they could cobble together yeah, at the last second. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, just... Yeah. Oh, boy. Just making things uh, very, very nervous for all of us. Yeah, and uh, after the meeting, Reinhardt meets some kid named Emil von Sekla. Yes. And uh, oh, this innocent, bright-eyed young man reminds Reinhardt von Lohengram of his best friend... Siegfried Kirky eyes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just another... Uh, says, child, you must return home to your family and tell everyone I was the one who inspired Reinhard von Lohengram to win at Bronte Mario. Yes, yes, Reinhard just playing his, like, fucking Let me call class A star game here. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, <clears throat> we know that Bronte Mario, which you just mentioned, is where this battle is going to happen. Right, it's because like, it is like the as last- far as the FPA can allow the Empire to invade before. Right, right. It, it is the last possible place we can, uh, we can fight before we start entering like territory that is like within you know yeah. within range of uh, of Heineson. Uh We also we also cut to the FPA also planning for this battle, and you know, uh, we kind of uh, talk about like. We have a good conversation here about how important timing is for this battle. Like, the timing of this battle is some real, like, fucking razor's edge shit. Right, because we, you know, we have to move all of the, like, civilians out of the area. You know, we have to move all our forces to the side of the battle before the Empire forces can, from Israel alone can also get here. But yeah. also there's to make sure there's time for Yang's fleet to show up, and we have to want to be with them. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's a lot of timing here. It, it's it's really fascinating, and it's a good. I'm not going to get into it too much now because I think I'll save this for when the battle actually happens. But timing is honestly one of those weird, very underexplored aspects of how uh, of like right. of what can decide battles. You know, like you know, does you know battles have been won and lost by like. Did people did this part of the formation get here on time, right. or did the enemy get there before we anticipated? You know, catching us off guard and like, crumbling. Our potential our advantage will only last for X amount of time until their reinforcements show up, and then we're yeah, screwed. Exactly. Like, there's this weird aspect of the battle where, like, of, yes, of course, the FPA wants to stretch this on for as long as possible to give themselves more time to prepare. 
but at the same time, the longer they take, like, like the more the empire just charges up. Yes, yes. The more time the empire has to like fully reinforce itself, you know, like in a weird ways, the FBA needs to wait till the right moment where they are as reinforced as they can ideally get without the empire itself having like stockpiled too many resources as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're going to just, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, they're going to be played as close as they can, but, uh, who cares about that? Because we return to Julian. Yeah. Uh, all the shit. worried about this weird Bishop Begsby guy. Who's just drinking it up and uh, throwing yeah. up blood and doing drugs. Yes. Yes. But more importantly, uh, they kind of talk about like, well, what happens if like we get like if some empire like patrol ship catches us, right. and you know, they fucking jinx themselves by saying, ah, I wouldn't worry about it too much. There's so many ships out here, like eh, they're yeah. not gonna bother one. Fizani you know, won't Fizani. sell out another Fizani. Surely not. But then exactly. uh, they, they totally are. They totally do. Yes. So we find out that of their uh, the Empire is not only patrolling uh, Fazani space, but they are doing it with the help of Fazani collaborators, who uh, are helping them like point yeah. out which ships might be suspicious. And right on cue, they're hailed by an Imperial destroyer or whatever, uh, saying, "Hey, let's we're gonna check your ship." Yes. But, uh, so Yulian comes up with basically Trojan horse planner. Yes, he Whatever. has he has yet another anecdote of Yang Wen Lee <laughs> talking about like strategy and tactics. You know, just fucking Yang, you know, fucking ghost Yang Wen Lee in his head being like uh, I forget what he says exactly here, but he's like you know, just sometimes the best strategy is like the is the one is exactly the one they expect or something. Right. So, it's basically uh Yulin makes a look as he uh sets it up so that uh, Captain Mariness can say, oh, yeah, we had these Alliance people on board. They tried to hijack us. We'd like to turn them over to you. Thanks for yeah, showing up. Yeah. It's the right time, guys. Yeah, basically Julian pulls off a fucking easer loan where yeah. you know, he, he he plays he plays into exactly uh he basically what he does is he doesn't he doesn't lie. He tells the truth. We are FPA guys who are trying to escape from Fazan. And the only lie is that oh we got got we got captured by the Fazani uh, you know yeah. smugglers, we, and that lets them uh, yeah <laughs> we failed get to get over yes yes and that lets allows them to get the jump on the Empire like patrol ship yeah. and uh, take over the destroyer, which is just so fucking good. Like I oh gets to beat up some dudes. Yes, and we even get some uh, space adventure Cobra in action too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, now we know that uh, we got uh, Julian and crew on a on a destroyer, an Imperial destroyer, on their way back to uh, Heineson. Yeah, they uh, blow up the old Pazan ship, and uh, yeah. they release their prisoners or whatever, and Captain Marinesque is like, cool, I guess I got a cool new ship! Yep. <laughs> I own this ship now because you blew up my old one. Yeah, to consider this payment for the old ship. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, but yeah. Only six days until the Battle of Run Mario. Uh, yes, but uh, also notably, uh, it will take fifteen days for Young to arrive at Run Mario as well. So right, it's like, uh, how much are they gonna have to hold hold back? Yeah, oh, so, oh, oh boy, so oh, real yeah, again. Next few episodes is gonna be some intense stuff. Yes, this battle will be very much decided on the most you know thinnest of margins, but. Uh, yeah, so that is those three episodes yeah. of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Um, once again, I feel like it's a lot of setup this week, just really setting up for the very big like events that are going to happen very soon. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I guess, weirdly enough, not as much to say. I feel like we kind of know what's going to happen. The facts are laid bare for us. We know... We know who the movers and shakers are going to be, and we know where everybody else is. So, uh, well, I don't know, Eric, do you have these, any, uh... How it plays out. Yeah, yeah, so my, like, baseless speculation, I suppose, just based on, like, the current setup, the only ways, the only, like, clear ways I see to really, for the Empire to, like, lose its advantage are, uh, Reinthal pulling something with Ezerlone, which I'm not sure would happen at this stage of the uh, show. 
I don't think so. I do or, agree. Like, Julian somehow using the advantage of having an imperial ship, but I don't know how much one ship could do unless they pull another fucking sea of stars movie trick of holding Reinhardt's ship hostage. Uh, yeah. Oh, but what if he did <laughs> do it a second time? I can't believe I fell for the same trick twice. Right. I think that is the thing, right? Like we have a lot. The thing I really like about this, the, 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 the place we are at with legend of the galactic heroes is how many pieces in play we have on the table. Right. And the just myriad of ways they could be used at this point. Like there is Royenthal. There is uh Julian. We have uh Yang Wen Lee rushing to meet, to meet up with Bukok at uh, Ronta Mario. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's always the possibility of the Earth Cult pulling some shit. Right, and then there's always just the fucking Earth Cult just hanging out in the corner doing their shady yeah, fucking I mean, shit. He said uh, like, within three years, it's been uh, two years. Yeah, so it is coming up. And I think that's the thing. Like, it's hard to tell. Like, as much as I want to, I could go into, ba- I could baselessly speculate for like the next 30 minutes about how things might go but it's really hard to tell at this point and that is kind of the most exciting aspect i never know what's gonna happen next in this show yeah and i think especially now like you're right like what if roenthal does something or what if julian manages to use the fact that he's captured an imperial destroyer to like infiltrate f you know uh, imperial like lines or something we don't know but that's kind of what makes it exciting yeah but uh Man, show's still good, you know? Still very oh, good. 47 episodes in television. We're almost halfway through, man, and we still just, it's so hard to tell where how this show will surprise us. But uh, oh, I think boy. with that, yeah, I think we're going to call that a podcast. So uh, let's take care of some housekeeping, including some new changes to uh, right. talk about. We're on Podbean so, now. Yeah, yeah. I think but, there's uh, a new RSS to to subscribe to. So not only that, but there is a we are we have made some changes to uh, our podcast feed. Um, apologies to old listeners, you may have to resubscribe to a new feed. Uh, we will include details about that in the post itself. Uh, we're still getting that sorted out. Yeah, but uh, as always, though, you will can always find the podcast and the rest of our posts at thegloryablog.com. You can follow us at, on Twitter at the Gloria Blog. Um, yeah, we're you can on YouTube. Yes, you will always find it on YouTube. Uh, Google fucking the Gloria Heroes. Yes, you know. Uh, feel free to keep subscribing there so that we may one day get a unique URL. Um, yeah. Additionally, yeah. feel free to listen to our sister podcast, uh, the Gloria Chat. We talk about a recent anime. Yeah, you can uh, catch uh, Legend of the Glo- uh, <laughs> Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive and VRB. Yeah, and you really and should. I, I guess if anyone's fucking listening to this, they're already watching the show or have watched the show. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, hey, just yeah, in case. Watch, it, watch it again. I don't know. Why yeah, not? fucking why not? But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's it. Um, yeah, we're on iTunes. Leave a five star review if you're listening to yeah. it there. Comment. Uh, Spread the you know, word. Yes. Yes. Like, comment, and subscribe, blah, 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 etc., etc. But, uh, yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, as always, thank you all for listening. Iro, thank you for accompanying me. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, we will see you all amongst the Sea of Stars. <laughs> <laughs>